The reading this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and of his sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death but they thought he had meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come in to the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, 
Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, Unbind him and let him go. Thanks, Lawrence, for the long reading this morning. Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. It's good to see you all here. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ today or on a Sunday. And even though this passage um, is obviously not the narrative uh, explaining and depicting Jesus' resurrection, we see in this passage the power of Jesus in resurrection and indeed his own identification of himself saying, I am the resurrection. I'm excited to, to uh, go through this, this passage here this morning. The relativeness of this passage is incredible. Uh, and so we start with this, this, this scene that I think a lot of us can relate to in many ways where we are suffering and we see people suffering. We see loved ones suffering. We suffer because of our loved ones. And there are times, um, many times, it seems like maybe more times than not, where God seems to be delaying or not responding or not hearing even our prayers. And this question about God's delay or God not hearing our prayers is a troublish one. In fact, it's one of the questions that we find significantly in our culture when people ask us uh, or reflect on why they don't believe in God or why they are atheists. It's that they see so much evil in the world and they don't see a God that does anything about it. If God were all-powerful, and if God were indeed loving, wouldn't he do something about all of the evil in this world? And so we all have those kinds of thoughts or feelings when we are in deep agony or pain in our own lives, or we see people that we love that are in deep agony or pain, um, or are on paths of, of self-destructive sin that not only hurts them, but are hurting others as well. And we pray, and we pray for days, for weeks, for months, for years, and sometimes even decades, and we do not see God doing anything about it. Well, this passage addresses that very question. If we look here at the beginning, we see these two women, and it's, 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 it's Jesus and his disciples is the first scene, but the, Jesus and his disciples have received word from Mary and Martha. And they have sent word to Jesus Christ. They have sent word 
uh, asking him for help because their brother, Lazarus, was ill. <clears throat> Excuse me, and it was an illness that evidently uh, they were very concerned about because they felt like Jesus needed to intervene in order for him to be spared from the consequences of this illness, which ultimately ended up in, in death. And so we, see, we can see ourselves in these sisters. We can see ourselves in these sisters. In the, in the face of suffering or pain, they ask Jesus for help. Well, it's a long time coming, or longer than they expected. If we look at Martha, Martha hears that Jesus is on his way, and they're in Bethany. She runs out to meet him. Martha is the hopeful optimist. She's the action-oriented uh, one of the two. And if you recall the story um, later, actually, in the Gospel, uh, Martha and Mary are with Jesus, and Mary is spending time with Jesus and worshiping Jesus and talking with Jesus, and Martha is getting the food ready. Martha is this woman of action. Some of us are like Martha. We hear Jesus is coming. We run out. We have no idea what can be done because she says, Jesus, if you would have been there, if you would have been there, Jesus, you could have done something and Lazarus would not have died. But I don't know what you can do, but you can do anything that, that, that you ask of God. So she's hopeful that he can do something. It doesn't seem like she's thinking that Jesus can raise Lazarus from the dead because when Jesus interacts with this on, on this idea later, she, she uh, responds as, you know, roll away the stone. He's like, roll away the stone. Why would we roll the stone away, Jesus? So there's no idea. It doesn't seem like there's any idea in her mind that Jesus could raise Lazarus from the dead. He can do something. And she says, hey, even now you can do something, Jesus. And he says, I will show you the glory of God if you believe. And then he even, say, he even suggests the idea of resurrection. And she says, yeah, I know he's going to be resurrected in the last day. And that was a promise given by God to Israel. There would be a resurrection of the faithful saints uh, in the last day when the kingdom would be established under the Messiah. That was a hope that all of Israel looked forward to. But the idea of a resurrection now was not at all in their purview. It wasn't in Martha's mind. So we send, then we then come to, to Mary, the second sister. And Mary is, is sad and despondent. When she hears about Jesus coming, she doesn't do anything. Martha runs out to meet Jesus. Mary just stays and cries and sits in her sadness and depression. Some of us are like that in the midst of pain and suffering. Neither of the two are, are right or wrong. This is just where they are at as people. But when Jesus is done talking with Martha, he doesn't go in to the village. He stays. He's still on the way. And he calls for Mary. And so Mary has to, she has to lift herself up and go to him. And it's, it's all she can do to go to him. 
Because when she sees him, when she comes to him, she, she falls down on the ground. She's still crying. This is, this is four days later. She falls down on the ground and she says the exact same thing that Martha said. If you had been there, you could have done something. You could have saved Lazarus. And so in Mary and Martha, we, we see that both of them, Jesus comes, Jesus is, is, is moving his way toward them. They've asked for help. He's responding. He's moving his way toward them. But at some level, they've got to go to him. They've got to express some degree of affection or faith. But they both come to him, and it's as if they both are blaming him. Jesus, this wouldn't have happened. Lazarus wouldn't have died, and, and I wouldn't be experiencing the suffering that I'm experiencing if you had been there. And I think, again, we can see ourselves in these sisters. Whether you are the more action-oriented, you're not going to sit around crying for a long time, you're going to see what you can do about the problem. Or whether you're the, the sad and depressed and you stay that way for a long time. Both people, all of us, do get to a point where, where, we, where we have these assumptions or beliefs about Jesus or God and we blame them to some degree for the suffering that we are experiencing. Well, Jesus is distraught and he continues in his journey to answer their requests for help, to respond to their, to their pain and to their suffering and to the loss of Lazarus. So where, as we can see us in the sisters, through Jesus we can see God. And this was his exact point in the previous passage. You know, John narrates uh, seven stories where Jesus confounds the Israelites, Jewish people, the masses, the leadership. He confounds them with signs. It starts off with the sign that he turns water into wine. And it just gradually increases um, the complexity and demonstrated power that Jesus Christ has over the physical world, over the supernatural world. And so the, the, the signs have increased in their, in their significance and severity, and the reaction of the people has increased. And the, 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 the Jewish leadership is at the point where they're trying to figure out how to get rid of Jesus. And in the last narrative, Jesus says, equated himself with God. I and the Father are one. And the Jewish leaders were indignant. And they began to think about, how do we get rid of this guy? And so Jesus is God. And so we can see God and understand God through the person of Jesus. And the first thing I want to look at is God's grieving. God's grieving for us. God's grieving with us. In the midst of our pain and suffering, God is grieving. God is in pain. God is in pain with our pain. He can relate and understand and is hurting when we are hurting. Now, um, I've always believed that to be true, but I've, I've had the, 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 the opportunity to uh, participate 
um, in, in, a, in a few counseling sessions with, with Deirdre. And that is an idea that Deirdre draws heavily upon for her own life and, and in her counseling. And, and every time she has said that, <clears throat> excuse me, every time that she has said that in a counseling context, I've had this reaction, not a reaction in terms of a reaction of disagreement. But for me, it's more like, okay, I know that's true, but I've always had a hard time of, of finding a text <laughs> that, that um, establishes that point strongly. And, <clears throat> excuse me, it wasn't until just even studying this week, this passage, it's not an unknown passage to me. I've preached through the Gospel of John twice. It's, it's one of, it's, of the four, it's probably my favorite Gospel. But to recognize here that God is in pain and is grieving while we grieve is a very important concept to get. Jesus came upon that scene he saw, he saw Mary crying and deep suffering. And he sees all of the friends and family around her crying and in deep suffering. And it hurts him. It hurts him. And it's a reality. And it's important that we know that when we are in pain, God is in pain. It's important that we know that. It's important that we know that because if we don't believe that God is with us in our pain and wants to comfort us in our pain and understands our pain, if we don't, if we don't have that as a concept in our mind that is a reality, we will not go to God in our pain. We're going to go to something else in pursuit of comfort. And if we go to something else in pursuit of comfort, if we go to something else for an ultimate relief from our pain, it's going to end up creating more pain. That's what the, that's what the idea of sin is. Sin isn't, isn't just this concept of, of a transgression against a law of God and therefore morally wrong. Sin, sin is, the, is the reaching out to love and worship and find relief in something other than God because it ultimately will not satisfy it ultimately will not satisfy the, the deepest needs of our hearts and of our minds and of our bodies. God has created us to know Him, and it's in, the, it's in the knowing of Him that we come to experience relief from our suffering and pain. So sin is, is when we pursue some other form of comfort that only God can, can heal. If we, don't, if we don't recognize that, we won't turn to God. We'll only see Him as, 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 a, as, as some authoritarian law-giving judge that we can't approach because in the midst of our suffering, as all of us know, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, uh, we turn to sin and we sin and we commit great acts of sin, bringing all sorts of shame and guilt and sorrow upon ourselves and upon others. And if we, if we don't believe that God is a God who can understand the challenges that we go through, 
the pain that we suffer, and, and at least can understand why we commit the sins that we do, we, we won't turn to him. We won't turn to him. We all co- also can see in Jesus not only God's grieving with us, but God's anger. I wish the English translation did a better job with this. You know, it says that Jesus uh, was troubled, was greatly t- troubled and deeply moved. It says this three times of Jesus when he comes upon the scene and when he sees the sorrow and pain of the people that he loved. It, it's more than just deeply moved. He is angry. He is indignant. He has come face to face with the worst that evil can do, death. The consequences of sin is death. The consequences of Satan's deception of man and woman in the garden and their choice to follow him in that deception is death. Along that route is a whole lot of other unhealthy, unwholesome, unwanted feelings, expressions, and experiences. Guilt, shame, anger, anxiety, depression, fear, all of those things, boom. They are on the path to death, but death is the final ending point. And so Jesus is face to face with, his, with people that he loved, and there is death. And this, is, this brings him to the point, this brings him to the point of, of ultimate anger. He is angry. He's not angry. Some commentators suggest that he's angry at the weakness of the faith of the people crying in his presence. That's not at all what Jesus is angry at. What Jesus is angry at is the the tyranny and the suffering that sin and evil brings. He He is mad at the devil. He is mad at the effects of sin. He is mad at what sorrow and death brings to people that he has loved and created, not for these purposes. He is angry. He is angry. He is angry at, its, at, 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 at the devastating effects of evil on his people, but it's important that we also understand, because we're, gonna, we're not going to cover the passage today, but we see... Uh, in, in this gospel and throughout scripture that God does indeed have anger towards people. He does have anger towards people. And he was showed that anger when he went through the temple when they were selling goods in the temple, making the temple of God, the house of God, a marketplace. Psalm, 50, Psalm chapter 7, I just want to show another way, another passage where there is indignation on the part of God. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. God is angry with evil. Jesus is angry with evil. 
And sometimes we as people are the forces of that evil. We went down, uh, as I, you know, I posted an invite on the, on the realm for you to join uh, our family. We went down to St. Olaf and watched, um, well, listened to uh, St. John's Passion by Bach. I had never seen or experienced anything like that before. Uh, it's a two-hour um, piece. And basically, Bach puts to, to music, choir and instruments, um, several chapters out of the Gospel of John going through. I mean, it's the text. They sing through the text. The, the story of Jesus' arrest his trial, his conviction, his condemnation, his death, and his burial. They sing through that. It's two hours. There's a little sermon in the middle. You know, and it gets to the part where the, the, the Jews and the Jewish leaders con- condemn Jesus Christ. And throughout the, throughout the piece, you know, the story goes on, and then Bach throws in a, a, a choir or a perspective, a, that it, of his own thoughts, some reflections. And the text, obviously, the Jewish leaders condemn Jesus. But what Bach does is he goes in and he explains why, that it wasn't just the Jewish leaders or the Roman leaders, but that it was himself. His own wickedness, his own sin, his own evil that put Jesus on that cross. And so Jesus is angry at evil, and he's not angry at these people, but these people that he is around are people that have recognized their evil and have repented and have come to God through their faith in Jesus Christ. But there are people that Jesus faces throughout his time on earth, and there are people now, obviously, that fit this category of people in the psalm that do not repent but whose deeds and actions and mindsets are violent and evil and self-serving all the way. Uh, my neighbors got us on this, uh, this series on Netflix called A Good Place. Is anybody watching that? A Good Place? Oh, my goodness. It is, it is so silly. But the idea, the idea of the good place, uh, the, the whole notion is that when you die, there is a good place to go. And there is a bad place to go. And the, the main characters in the story at the beginning, you, you come to find out that they've gone to the good place. But it really, well, I can't give away the, I can't give away the spoiler. Um, one of the persons in the, in the good place, her name is Tahini. And, and she lived her whole life doing a lot of good things. She was in a very, uh, her parents expected much of her. Her sister is like a, a rock star in every imaginable uh, field you can be. She was a musician. She was an artist. She was a scientist. She was a designer. All kinds of things. And she excels. Well, this woman has done a lot of great things in her life, but she's done it all because of the intense pressure from her family and to, and to keep up with her sister. All, she's done a lot of great things, but it has never been for the benefit of those she is serving. It's been so that she can meet up to the standard that her family has and so she can say, you know what, I can compete. I'm a good person too. 
And so her good deeds are nothing but self-serving deeds. And the show points that out, which is really quite amazing. None of us are good. In fact, Paul will use this, this very psalm later to say that in his argument where there is no human on the face of the planet that has ever been good or will ever be good outside of the goodness that God gives them in making them in his image and in their relationship with him through Jesus Christ. We do evil deeds, and those cannot be erased. They cannot be erased. And in the doing of our evil deeds, we have hurt ourselves and we have hurt others, and we are ready for the judgment. Well, we're not ready. We're, we will come before the judgment seat of God. But repentance means you come to the point where Martha did, where you say, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I do believe that he is the Savior of the world. So God's anger is there. And we can see it in Jesus. But I also want to look at the last thing. God's delay. God's delay. Lawrence, can you put it back to verse 5? I think it probably is the first slide. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. Do you see that? If you miss that word so, you've missed the really the, the crux of the passage. Jesus, here's, here's what it's saying. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So, he prolonged their suffering. That's what the text is saying. Lazarus was going to have to go through some more times, hours, maybe days, of a painful death. Mary and Martha were going to spend some more days crying and weeping in depression and anger and sadness for the loss of the brother whom they loved very much. And Jesus caused that. And he caused that, and this is where, if we don't believe or don't guess, this, this is really where, we, where the rubber meets the road. He caused that. He caused the prolonged suffering. Actually, I should say this. He prolonged the suffering. He intentionally prolonged the suffering and pain. He didn't cause the suffering and pain. He prolonged the suffering and pain because he loved them. Now, imagine if Jesus had just responded, had responded the first, he gets word, and he leaves immediately, and he arrives before Lazarus dies. And he heals Lazarus, and everything goes on like normal, just like all of the other miracles that Jesus performed. You know, the, after a couple days, they would have been back to, Lazarus would have gone back to work, his sisters would have been back to work, or back at their homes, whatever they were doing. 
They would have remembered and been thankful for Jesus' healing of Lazarus, but everything would have been back to normal. They had already, they had, they had grown quite accustomed to Jesus' healing. And so they kind of expected it. Jesus, we, we called you four days ago. What happened? You could have saved Lazarus. Well, because he loved them, he waited so that he could give them something more than just relief from their suffering. He wanted to show them the glory of God. A glory that they had not yet seen yet. They had seen the glory of God in the healing of people. They had seen the glory of God in the feeding of thousands with a few pieces of bread and some fish. They had seen the glory of God, but they had not seen the glory of God like, like Jesus had prepared for them. And they would not have done it. They would not have seen it had Jesus responded when they asked. But could you, can you imagine? that The text doesn't go into... The text doesn't go into their reaction or response at all. But can you imagine what that would have... I mean, we all... I mean, our culture, in a really strange way, celebrates Easter still. Our culture does not affirm or believe in or find hope in and live for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we see it, it's everywhere. You guys, there was no conception of anybody raising from the dead like that. And with Jesus, it'll be raising from the dead never to die again. And technically, Lazarus wasn't resurrected, he was rose. Because resurrection means you come back from the dead never to die again in a body that is brand new for eternity. But it, it, this was not in their, they just did not have this in their minds. But the stone gets rolled back and Jesus in his anger and in his compassion calls out in a very authoritative voice, Lazarus, come out. He is there to do battle with death, and he wins. It was not in their minds as a possibility. The crowd said, man, if he would have been here, he could have saved him. The crowd didn't say, oh, now that Jesus is here, Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. Is that what the crowd said? See, the greatest experience that we can have is not relief from our suffering. The greatest experience that we can have is to experience the glory of God. Now, that word glory is, is his power, is his magnificence, is his beauty, is his wisdom, is his greatness, is his omniscience. All of God's characteristics are wrapped up in this idea of his glory. The manifestation of his unhuman of his godlike characteristics. That is what God wants us to experience. They had been experiencing a lot of his glory, but this was the fullness of the glory of God revealed, the resurrection from the dead for the here and now. Not just in the last days, but for the here and now. 
You know that when, when Paul in chapter 1 of Ephesians says, he, he, wants us, he wants the eyes of our hearts to open up so that we would know three things. The hope of his calling, the glorious riches of his treasure in the saints. We are Christ's inheritance. And the third thing is that we would know the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work in us, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. That power, and I would say in the context of this passage, that glory is what is possible for us to experience now. The glory of God in the midst of suffering for him to give us a sense of his power, a sense of his hope, a sense of his love, a sense of his presence within us because the spirit is within us. If you have believed that Jesus Christ is the son of God, the scriptures are clear, his spirit has been put inside of you. And the purpose of that spirit's presence in you is for you to feel the glory and the power of God in you. And Paul would say it is most vivid and most experienced when we are in the place of suffering and we believe that in the midst of our suffering we are going to experience the presence of God in a way that gives us courage to go through the suffering without sin. See, what, what happens when we, when we feel that God is delaying, that's when we get fearful, get anxious, start plotting what we can do to relieve our own suffering. It's when we choose to sin. It's, when we, it's what we, we get into addictions because we get comfortable and in rhythms and in patterns that continue to give us some little bit of relief because all sin is a twisting of the good that God has given to us. And so we will experience a lot of good things through what God has given us through, through the physical material world. But it will never satisfy, which is why we can't just, you know, if, if we are gluttons, we eat a little bit of food to feel better, but the next time we eat a little bit more, this is my issue. It never satisfied. Alcohol, sex, pleasure, work, we all know what we could pursue to relieve our suffering. And the promise here is that is if it's true that the Spirit resides in us and that we can experience the power of the resurrection, what that is saying is that we can look death and suffering in the face and have the courage and the desire because we know there is something greater in experiencing the glory of God than in the false glories of the sins that we pursue. That is the promise of the resurrection. Paul says to the Philippians, this is just a passage that's been on my mind for several months now. I know that I will be delivered in my imprisonment. I may die, and that's deliverance. I may remain alive, and that's deliverance. But regardless, I know that the deliverance is going to come through the Spirit giving me the endurance to face my suffering with courage, that I may honor Jesus Christ with my body and experience the fullness of the joy of the glory of God. That is the power of the Spirit in those of us who believe in the gospel. And that is why God 
delays. He loves us. He doesn't want to just cure us of our illnesses. He doesn't want to just relieve our suffering. He wants us to experience something unusual and great and powerful. And, and to experience what David said, that, that you, God, give us pleasures that are beyond anything that this world has to provide because it, he gives it to you in your spirit, in your heart, in your mind, and it fills you even in the midst of suffering. Let me pray.